All right, so next up we have Robin Chase from Buzzcar, and I'm excited to have her because one of the things that we hear a lot in the lean startup world is how do you deal with this sort of incremental experimentation? Does that ever take you anywhere? And Robin has a really wonderful story about merging your big vision with a lot of experimentation to help you get there. Please welcome Robin. Hi, it's nice to be here. Something that struck me with Zipcar, I've done four startups now, and uh, with Zipcar, it was the leanest possible startup. It's just, its story is so amazing. We launched in, incorporated in January of 2000, and we launched the product in June. We raised $75,000 by the time we had launched, and yet we pulled this thing off. I've never been able to do anything like that again. Um, just, I'm going to talk very little bit about Zipcar, but today, 13 years in, um, Zipcar has, I think, a million members driving 11,000 cars parked across North America, um, Canada, 300 university towns, and in the UK and uh, Austria and Spain. But how we started was as lean as possible. So just thinking about this as a lean startup, the idea of this word minimum viable product didn't exist. And so here's how the beta car in April of 2000, we had created a website where you could see a calendar for this one first car. And I had decided to use a green Volkswagen Beetle because Volkswagen had just at that minute launch, relaunched the Beetle. And so I knew it was going to be this beautiful little car driving around. And we put the uh, logo on the passenger side door, as you know today, and uh, wheels when you want them on the back. So we had one car, 22 drivers, 22 members. And so here is how this worked. The car was parked on street outside of my house in Cambridge, Massachusetts. You would make the reservation online, you would see the calendar for the car, and then you would walk to my house, you would walk up the back garden, you would walk up to the porch, and on the porch was a glider, and you would lift up the pillow, and the keys were underneath. <laughs> walk back to the car, you would, um, in the glove box was a, uh, piece of paper that was your start time, stop time, start odometer, and stop odometer. And so those first um, three months before we launched, or April, May, yeah, two and a half months, that is how people used the car. And then, of course, I would gather the slips and write it down. So those people are driving around. We think about, I never, I always am telling entrepreneurs, you want to get in touch with your customers absolutely as fast as possible. You want to be as minimum as possible. And as I said, I've done four startups, and every time when you have just a little bit more money or just a little bit more insight into what you're doing, you go less than mean. You start adding in stuff because you think, oh, I'm so smart, I know what's going on, or I have a little bit more money, I'm going to make it a little better before I launch. You want it, and then whenever I do that, I have to undo. So you really want to start with the absolute, absolute minimum, minimum, minimum thing, which is what we did with Zipcar. And then uh, when we did launch, all that was different was that um, we attached the, wind the keys to the steering column, just like today, and 
We, um, instead of getting the key from my porch, we put a box on the windshield that if you had that company's proximity card and you held it on the windshield, it would open it up, whether or not you made a reservation, any time, whatever. So anybody could get into any car. If you, if you broke into the car and used the keys, it would start and it would, it, you could get in, it would work. And that's what we did for another three months until the system that you see today. But in people's minds, it was this black mystery technology box and they believed that it did what it did today, which was it only opened to the right person at the right time. <laughs> so, so you can start really, really with a minimum thing. So today, I've been um, thinking a lot about, I want to move beyond well, lean startup process, these processes and these products, that's really important. But today I want, I've been thinking for the last year about conceptualizing a lean company as a whole. And I feel like Black Girls Code actually was a fabulous example of this, and you will see what I'm talking about. And lean companies, to design your company in and of itself to be lean, is that you want to leverage excess capacity, you want to use other people's stuff whenever you can, and you want other people to do the work. So to be a little more precise, if we go back to the Zipcar st story, Zipcar leveraged excess capacity in that today, the way people will then and today, still the way people are using cars has a lot of excess capacity. You actually only use your car 5% of the time, but you have to buy the whole thing. Or if you rent a car, you have to buy 24-hour bundles even though you want it for two hours or 24 hours. So there was this inherent excess capacity in the way that we use cars that enabled us to transform the economics of the, of the offering. So looking for excess capacity in all ways is really key. We built a platform for participation. This is really important. So we built this platform, so if you think of the old car rental model, they choose everything for you. They hand you the keys, they walk around the car. With Zipcar, you were never going to rent a car for an hour if you are going to have to stand on a 20-minute line. It just wouldn't work. And if I was going to have to, car rental companies, it's about $12 per transaction to make that rental. And I could never rent you a car for an hour if it's going to cost me $12 for that transaction. So we had to make this platform for participation that made it easy for you. And then the last thing we did is that we thought of our members as collaborators. And that was back in 2000. And I think today we know that we've moved to a place where we don't think of people as consumers, we think of them as co-creators. And this is really critically important because it enabled us as Zipcar to reduce our, the, our staff demand. We didn't have to have a person walk with you around the car. We didn't have to, we relied on you guys as users to do a whole bunch of things that car rental companies used to have to pay people to do. So if we think about, this is a cartoon I love, um, here's Moses coming down from the mountain, is there a section at the bottom for comments? This is really, we, we now know we are co-creators, we now know we are participants. So I think of this model that I've been describing as Peers Incorporated. It's a partnership between these autonomous individuals and institutions that are building a platform for participation. And this is really driving and transforming us from what I think of as the old industrial economy to the new sustainable collaborative economy. It's changing the way we work, the way we do business, the way we work, and the way we use resources. If you look at these companies that we've been talking about forever and ever, all of these companies are these Peers Incorporated companies. They've all built platforms for participation, and they're requiring individuals and outsiders to put their stuff, to do the thing, to make that asset actually work. So I want a favorite here, Skype with um, my, Skype is using excess capacity. It's my internet connection, my laptop, and my video camera that's created a telecommunications company. I mean, that's really phenomenal, what they've been able to do without 
all of that hard work. So um, an example I love is, of course, everything I do is around sharing, and I want you guys to think of this example of bed sharing. Got that in your mind, bed sharing? Um, I do a lot of travel. And uh, when I travel, I get to stay at friends' houses. It's my favorite thing. And I might be lucky and have, you know, a nice home office to stay in. Their excess capacity. If I'm really lucky, I get the double bed, better yet. If I'm unlucky, I get stuck in the teenager's room and the teenager's sitting on the couch. And because that is so grotesque, on that such reason, I choose a hotel. And so hotels really are bed sharing. I went and did some research. And I said, okay, what are the biggest hotel chains in the world? And it's the Intercontinental Hotel Group. And after 60 years, they have 645,000 rooms in 100 countries. And, just, and the Hilton Hotel has been at it for 93 years and isn't there yet, isn't as large. And so just, you guys, imagine in your minds the amount of effort that the Intercontinental Hotel Group has had to do. They have had to decide where they want, city they want things in, then they had to get an architect to design a plan, they had to find the land, they had to build the place, they had to put buy all those materials and beds and stuff and put them in there. They had to train a staff. They had to have a business model that worked. They had to have customers who would come and work and uh, customers who wanted to use it on a 24-hour basis, seven days a week, 12 months a year. They had to have no tsunamis and storms. It had to all work out for them, some failing and some succeeding, to get to this gigantic 645,000 rooms. And most of you, since we're standing in San Francisco, know my next slide, Airbnb in four years, had the same number of rooms available. It is game-changing. This is where I actually say, can you believe it? I mean, this is really phenomenal. This is changing the way everything happens today. And then there's couch surfing, where it's slightly different because no money's changing hands. In their first nine years, they had two and a half million rooms. This is really incredible. What in heck is going on? What is underlying this? I think about it as if we think about what did What's industrial strength? What do industries do really well? What should, what should companies and institutions and governments stick to because they do really well? Is things that require large investments over lots of years. This is what an individual can't do. Things that require lots of types of intelligence to create one single unique thing. Um, things that require the application of standards and uh, consistent standards. These are things individuals can't do. But likewise, individuals have things that they do really well. And that before, um, before the internet made access to them simple, companies used to do it painfully and they hated it. And one of those things that individuals do really well is they do localization, customization, specialization, access to my own peer, my own social networks. These are things that I do naturally. And when you put these two things together, of course, they are very complementary. And this is what I call Peers Incorporated, this new type of organizational structure where each side is doing what they do best, and they're letting the other guys do the other stuff. And it really changes things. So I kind of simplify it down to this Peers Incorporated yin and yang, where there's a value sharing going on, and a complementarity, and a synergy. And it's all swimming in this sea of excess capacity. So if we look at um, the incorporated side, when you're the companies need to build a platform for participation, and if you build a platform for participation, what does it deliver is it gives economies of scale and high growth, because that's what platformness does. It makes things scalable. And so, list some examples. Here's Airbnb's growth curve. It is phenomenal. I keep having to switch it out every six months. Note how long it took to get the platform right. It is really non-trivial to get platforms right, but once you get them right, 
All these other people are co-investing, and it can move really fast. Um, here's Blablacar, which is in France, the largest ride-sharing company. So the excess capacity, I'm going from here to a faraway city, and there's my three empty seats. They currently move three million people a year, which is the equivalent of 2,500 trains, yet they never laid a track or built, bought a train car. And that's how many people they're moving. Um, another example, Fiverr. You know, what would you do for $5? I met these guys when they were three weeks old and already had 65,000 gigs, as they call them. Um, today, more than two and a half million um, gigs of what you would do for $5. Etsy, another phenomenal example. They're on schedule for about a billion dollars worth of sales this year. Um, top coder and engineering company, that is um, 600,000 engineers, autonomous independent engineers doing very complex design projects. So um, I want to if we think about this excess capacity, there's three things. So you've got to go out and look for excess capacity, all kinds. And what are the three things you do with it? Slice it, which is what Zipcar did. Took something that was a big bundle and let people get little tiny pieces of it. Or you can aggregate it, which is what Airbnb does, a whole bunch of little pieces and pulls them all together. Or the third thing is that you can open it. You can say, here's this open stuff. I've, I've used up the value. You guys come up with examples. And that would be things like um, open data. So the peers provide a huge amount of diversity. I'm looking at my time here and I want to move along. Buzzcar is the company I recently started uh, two years ago in France, which is renting out your own car, like really rides and get around, but I did this in France. And here are pictures of the owners with their cars. You can see that they have a great diversity among them. <laughs> Um, and what's really great about this is that we now have 7,000 cars parked around France available to rent at different price points, different kinds of cars, and there's different experiences going on, and these individual car owners can provide for you what you might uniquely want. You know, I won't need two baby seats in the back. Well, there's a guy who owns a car who has two seats in the back. Or, you know, directions to places. They can do things that car rental and zip car can never do. There's a real fineness of what they're doing. Um, here is um, smartphones and the number of apps. I think of the smartphone as a platform for participation and the one and a half million apps on top. Those companies can't and shouldn't be doing that innovation inside. It should be outside, and that's why we've seen this amazing amount of um, this explosion of, of innovation. I don't think we've seen it anyplace else. And as I said, the whole open data movement is the same thing. Here's this data that we found. Uh, we're opening it up. You guys think of what new values you can extract out of this. So, you know, we're living in this world of scarcity. We have this feeling of scarcity, and I want to say, you know what? In fact, we, we have, we're living in an age of abundance because now we can use these assets much more effectively and we can find more and increasing values on it. So now I want to change um, the reason I'm fascinated by this business model is because, um, as was said earlier today, we are living in a world of such an enormous pace of change that if you want to stay on the cutting edge of change, you need to be tapping into innovation, you need to be doing things with resource, effective use of resources. And of the one that is the highest rate of change I want to talk to you about is climate change. And that is really transforming the way we are doing things. This is a report put out by the World Bank, a very conservative financial institution. Um, this report is a year old, and what is it saying? It's saying that by 2100, if every country does exactly what it's promised to do, we will see a global average climate change of seven degrees Fahrenheit. This is four degrees centigrade. So seven degrees Fahrenheit, what the heck does that mean? Plus global average seven degrees. If you're like me, you have no idea. So I went and did some research. 
And uh, what I found was that when we were last at minus seven degrees global average climate change, was the last ice age, we were under several kilometers of ice here in North America. So that was 35,000 years ago, minus seven degrees. And we are going forward that amount in 85. So just think of how fast and how different this world is going to be. And worse yet, is that's the global average climate change. Over land, duh, when I did the research, it's hotter over land. So over North America, it's going to be plus 11 degrees Fahrenheit hotter in the summer times. That's if we do things right. If we don't do things right, that's by 2060. So I look at you and I look at me, and I think, okay, if by 2060 it's gonna be plus 11 degrees, the last time it was plus 11 degrees was 20 million years ago, there were no humans around. By 2040, it's gonna be looking really bad. And so I personally am thinking about this every single day. Like, it's not for my children, it's not for my grandchildren, it's for me personally. I hope to be around in 20 years. And we are moving at an incredible pace to a really terrible place. So just generally speaking, what you should be doing is role modeling in your daily life that you realize this is a high priority, and so you're doing things like riding your bike, not eating meat, turning off your lights, leadership in your business life, which is what you're seeing me do now, and thirdly, of course, is political action. My friend Banny Banerjee from Stanford, he has this great sentence that I have borrowed. You can't solve exponential problems with linear solutions. Clearly, climate change and sustainability are exponential problems. They are moving at a pace that is just incredible. We have to reduce, we have to take all of the carbon and greenhouse gases out of our entire planet, the giant seven billion people we are today, in 20 years, if we want to have a 50-50 chance of holding it at four degrees. The speed and pace required is so incredible. But the reason I chose to show, talk about Peers Incorporated and to show you those incredible curves is that this is the approach that we need to use to solve these problems. And that we, we can solve these problems. When you have the, the Peers Incorporated business model is giving you like the speed of collective action while preserving individual ingenuity. It is all about rapid in innovation and iteration but we need to be focusing on getting these platforms right. So as I say, these, this business model offers us everything we need to address these problems. It offers us resilience and redundancy because you have lots of peers doing things all around the world. You're capping into that innovation. We can do it with high speed and high growth, but what we need and what we require is innovators like you in the room and people like me to start focusing on creating platforms for participation on our major problems. So I, of course, think transportation is the center of the universe, but there's lots of big problems out there, and we've, we're seeing solutions in many of these spaces. Um, I love this, this Richard Branson quote. Uh, Richard Branson, uh, climate change is the biggest wealth-creating opportunity of our generation. See, where there's a problem, there's always opportunity. So you should be doing that. Um, and there's this young guy, um, Tim DeChristopher, who was a, a, the first person who got himself into jail um, in the U.S. around uh, climate action, and he had this great sentence. Um, we are on track for such rapid and intense change. We might as well steer towards the world we want to see. And that's what we really do need to be doing. And this, this lean startup and lead company mentality is the way that we know that we can iterate really quickly. When we do things on platforms, we can scale really fast. And that is what I'm challenging you to do, and that's what my work is about. Thank you. <laughs>